Today we continue to focus on Jesus' resurrection appearances to his first disciples. And if you think back, you will recall John chapter 20 is all about the empty tomb and then Jesus' subsequent appearances to Mary Magdalene and to the other disciples, including Thomas. To begin with, we're told that early on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and found the large stone at its entrance rolled away and an empty tomb. So she went and told Peter and John, and they came to the tomb only to see the strips of linen cloth that had been wrapped about Jesus' body where he had been placed, with his head cloth just nearby. And then they left while Mary remained outside the tomb weeping. Before looking into the tomb and seeing two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been. John then tells us of the first resurrection appearance. After Mary looked into the tomb, she turned around and she saw Jesus, who she didn't recognize until he spoke her name, Mary. And after a brief conversation with the risen Jesus, she went off and she told the other disciples. The risen Jesus' second appearance occurred on the evening of that same first day of the week. The disciples were in a home behind locked doors when Jesus came to them with his greeting of peace. Then, to prove who he was, he showed them his nail-scarred hands and his spear-torn side. Before he commissioned them, and breathed on them to impart the gift of the Holy Spirit, to empower them for the task of offering forgiveness or reconciliation in the days ahead. Jesus' third appearance after his resurrection occurred a week later, when the disciples, including Thomas, were gathered in a home, once again behind locked doors. Again, the risen Jesus offered a greeting of peace before showing them the markings of his crucifixion, his scarred hands and side. John's report of these three appearances of our resurrected Lord leads us to the beginning of today's gospel reading. And so the story about another of Jesus' appearances goes like this. Simon Peter and six other disciples decided to go fishing, for that was their trade. That was what they were good at. And that was their default position. However, they toiled all night and caught nothing. Then early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, and he called out to them, suggesting that they throw their net onto the right-hand side of their boat. Although they didn't recognize the risen Jesus at the time, after they had followed his suggestion and had discovered a large catch of fish in their net, they came to see and understand who he was and who they had been interacting with. And that's why Peter exclaimed, It's the Lord! Put on his outer garment, jumped into the boat, and quickly moved towards Jesus on the shore, 
followed by the other disciples. After mooring their boat, Jesus invited them to breakfast on the beach, consisting of bread and fish cooked over a charcoal fire. So what's the story really all about? Well, as I have reflected on the lead-up to the story, I realise that despite Jesus' predictions of his own death and resurrection, the disciples took some time to come to terms with what the empty tomb meant. Jesus had declared that he was and he is the resurrection and the life before raising Lazarus from the dead. The disciples had observed Jesus' death by crucifixion and they knew that he'd been placed in a tomb. They thought that this was the end of all they had known over the past three years. Now that Jesus had gone, they did what any one of us would have done. With probable feelings of sadness and real confusion, they resumed their familiar patterns of life until the unexpected happened. The risen Jesus began to appear to them. The backstory of all this is that Jesus, who knows each one of us through and through, had predicted Peter's denial of him before it occurred. Then, before Jesus' cruel death, Peter, who was very much like any one of us, denied Jesus three times. Now, with these encounters of the risen Lord, Peter gradually becomes aware of Jesus' gracious desire to forgive him, to keep on relating to him, to reinstate him. And Jesus does the same for us whenever we mess up, for we too are fully loved, fully forgiven, and can be fully included or re-included in God's plan for our lives. This, of course, is demonstrated by Jesus in his recommissioning of Peter, as described in John 21, verses 15 to 19, the passage that follows our gospel reading for today. From John 21, 15 to 19, we learn of Peter's renewed expression of his love for Jesus. And each time Peter declares his love, Jesus responds with a command to feed or tend his sheep or his lambs. Jesus' commands, although often translated in the same way, are subtly different. The first time Jesus speaks the Greek literally means pasture or tend the lambs. The Greek word for pasture is in the present tense, denoting a continual action of tending, feeding, and caring for animals. Believers are referred to as sheep throughout scripture. For example, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock of his care. Jesus is both our good shepherd and the door to the sheepfold. And by describing young Christians as lambs, Jesus is emphasizing their nature as immature, vulnerable, and in need of tender care. 
The second time that Jesus speaks, the literal meaning is tend my sheep. And in this exchange, Jesus was emphasizing tending the sheep in a supervisory capacity, not only feeding, but serving we who are as sheep. And this expresses the full scope of a pastor-teacher's oversight, both in Peter's future and in all those who would follow him in pastoral ministry. Peter follows Jesus' example and repeats the same Greek word, poimeno, in his first pastoral letter to the elders of the churches of Asia Minor. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. And the third time that Jesus speaks, the literal translation is pasture or tend the sheep. Here Jesus combines the different Greek words to make clear the job of a shepherd of the flock. They are to tend, care for, and provide spiritual food for God's people, from the youngest lambs to the full-grown sheep, in continual action to nourish and to care for them so that they become more Christ-like or spiritually mature. So, what is this food with which shepherds are to feed the flock of God? Well, it can be none other, really, than the Word of God, meaning both Jesus as the Word and the Scriptures. Peter declares that we Christians are to crave for the pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it we can mature in our salvation. As early as the book of Deuteronomy, we see the Lord describing the word as food for his people who live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. And Jesus reiterates this thought in his temptation in the wilderness. The importance of God's word or scripture as food which will nourish us cannot be overemphasized. And so clearly the job of the shepherds, teachers, is to provide members of Christ's body with the pure milk of the word of God so that all can grow and eventually move on to the meaty, solid food of the spiritually mature. Pastors, teachers, nurture their own relationship with the Lord and feed their people from the scriptures. But how do you know if you have received the gift of pastoring or teaching, as did Peter? Well, there are various resources. And I've got a number of them here if you're interested to ask questions later. There are resources available to help us discern our spiritual gifts, the gifts that are described in Romans 12, 6 to 8, or 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. And I could go through the whole list, but I can't because of the time factor. But may I suggest that a quick response may be to ask yourself the following questions. Do you desire to bring people to Jesus or to see their lives changed become, to become more and more like him? Are you concerned with scriptural truth that it's passed on to the next generation or to those who are currently lacking in understanding and wisdom? 
Are you concerned with the accuracy when the scriptures are taught? And please note that people embark on such a ministry at different levels. The teaching of children or adults in the local or wider congregation, the oversight of a congregation or a diocese, as is the case with Bishop Peter, and maybe teaching within the context of a university or Bible college. There's room for everyone in this ministry. And as I conclude, I want to remind you of today's first reading from Acts 10, 44-48. When the Holy Spirit enabled the forgiven and newly empowered Peter to speak to some Gentiles, the Spirit fell on all who heard. And subsequently, they were baptised in the name of Jesus the Christ. And in this way, more and more people were converted and were caught up in Jesus' ministry. And of course, this process continues today. So, for those in this congregation who have been given the gift of pastoring or teaching, including those who are teaching the children at this very moment, we have some lambs and some sheep to feed. And for those with other gifts or ministries, may I remind you that whatever you do, that you are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. <laughs>